What is good, NBA fans? The playoffs are about to arrive. We are in the midst of playing games, and we're here to finally discuss the looming playoffs here on Dropping Dimes. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Nost, and I am excited. 82 games are in the books. The first two games of the play-in are finished. And now we have the next two games of the play-in tonight. And then those will wrap up shortly, and we will begin the playoffs on Sunday itself. So today we're going to discuss last night's play-in games, tonight's play-in games, uh, projected uh, winners there. But then uh, I'm going to rank my most anticipated matchups of the playoffs and then uh, of that first round. And, you know, my guess as to where these things land, a projection of the overalls. Um, But we'll start with last night's two games. Um, So I watched all of the, uh, the Nets Cavs game. And then um, I had to duck out for the first half of the Clippers in Minnesota game. And I caught the second half. So I missed the preponderance of the refs just blowing whistles nonstop. Um, in the second game with, uh, Minnesota and the Clippers, but in the first game I watched it in its entirety. First off, Kyrie was unconscious. I mean, when he finally missed rightly so, I think it was Reggie and be like, look at that. He is human. Um, I can't remember who it was specifically. Um, but I mean, it was just a tremendous performance. It was kind of to be expected. The Cavs have had one of the toughest seasons this year in regards to injuries. Colin Sexton goes out at the beginning of the season with the meniscus tear and he's done for the year. Then they lose Rubio who really helped take the pressure off of Garland, uh, being a secondary ball handler. And, he goes out and they bring in Rondo and then they lose Jared Allen, who's their defensive anchor and probably would have been in the mix for defensive player of the year. Uh, that has now officially gone to Marcus smart. Um, you know, unofficially the ballots haven't been released, but or pardon me, officially the ballots haven't been released, but unofficially uh, it's been reported that Marcus smart is going to win defensive player of the year, the first guard to do so since Gary Payton way back when. Um, But then to lose Jared Allen, they don't have that defensive anchor. Because what it does is it frees up Mobley to not have to be the only interior defensive presence. Because even with last night, with Mobley, Markinen, and Kevin Love out there, it's not the same thing. They're not going to be able to protect the rim near as much as evidenced by the fact that, uh, you know, Drummond had a good game and the Nets were getting to the rim a decent amount. Whereas if you still have Jared Allen in there, it's a huge defensive anchor for him. And now any team has a real problem because Mobley can be this just lengthy defender that kind of is on fours and threes and can switch around and, and, gives their defense a completely different look. So it was kind of to be expected. I assumed the Nets were going to win last night. I think everybody assumed the Nets were going to win last night. 
uh, in the playoffs. Sad as it is to say, I think most teams would prefer to play the Cavs if they were to make it in, only followed by my Bulls. Um, Because the Cavs are just trending in the wrong direction. Uh, And it sucks because they've had a great season. And now it's going to be overshadowed by injuries to close it out. Um, But the Nets, the Nets won. They had great games from their two primary guys, which they're going to have to do. It's going to be pretty interesting how much the Ramadan fasting is going to affect Kyrie because they're going to need them and it's happening for, you know, quite a while from here on out. Now, if they get the preponderance of games at night, it'll make a little bit of difference because at that point, you know, he'll be able to uh, drink and eat. And if they have any early games during the day, um, that's going to be a little bit difficult. Like Sunday's game, game one against Boston is at 3.30 Eastern, and which means he'll still be fasting at that point. Um, I believe it's till sundown. I don't know the specifics of it, um, but it makes a difference. He's not going to have quite the same energy as he would for a night game once he's able to eat a little something and drink and hydrate. Um, I don't know how in the world you can play a full game and not hydrate. Uh, So that's going to be really interesting to watch, the intensity of a playoff game and somebody who's physically operating at a deficit. Um, but we'll see, <coughs> but the outcome was to be expected. I don't think anybody outside of Cleveland fans <coughs> really pegged them with much of a chance. And the Nets held serve for the whole game. They were up by 20 points at various times during the game and the Cavs would claw back in. Uh, and then right when they got within striking distance, the Nets would hit a couple baskets and then build that lead back out again. Um, So I don't have much to say there. On the flip side, on the other game, Minnesota and the Clippers, having only caught the second half, like that was a good one. Clippers were up by a decent amount, and then Minnesota just went on a tear to close out that game, making shot after shot, and it was, for the Clippers side, outside of that that Batum three from the corner... Sorry, allergies. It seemed as though if Paul George wasn't going to take the shot, I didn't really have much faith in anybody else, even Reggie Jackson on the team. So if PG isn't going to hit it, I don't know that it's going in right now. Um, And God bless him, man. He had some tough shots late to at least cut into that lead and make it somewhat surmountable. But ultimately, Minnesota wins out. And what's interesting is, you know, Cat fouls out with like seven minutes left in the game. He'd been in foul trouble for the entirety of the game. And they didn't miss a beat. Ant and uh, Russell stepped up and were just hitting shots left and right. I mean, step back threes, uh, long twos. Ant had that gorgeous dunk at the rim when uh, Norman Powell kind of guessed wrong and shaded too far to the right and ant too far to ants left his right 
and Ant went right past him, blew down the middle of the lane and dunked it. Um, and then afterwards he's saying that, you know, they were afraid to guard me. I, I don't, I don't know about any of that. I think there was just a couple of defensive lapses. Um, but it, what I'm happy about it is the two seven seeds won. And in this instance, especially for Minnesota, I don't think they should have been in the playing game because they were up by so many games over the rest of the competition that I think it just should have been the Clippers waiting for the winner of nine ten, And that one gets the final spot in the playoffs. And because Minnesota's up by, you know, more than four or five games, they shouldn't have to be playing in this, uh, but ultimately didn't matter. I know that they were getting dragged over the coals for their one shining moment afterwards. And it was a little bit much. I mean, guys, this is the playing game. We haven't even started the playoffs yet. I'm, you know, it's nice to see the excitement. I think they would have gotten taken less shit for it. If it was, if they were the 10 seed and they won two games, then made it in. Then I think everybody would have been okay with it. But the fact that they were head and shoulders record wise above the other three teams in the play in game and acted as though it was the championship. I thought Kuzma's tweet, you know, was somewhat apropos, but I don't want to bag on them for celebrating because it's been since Butler was there uh, that they made it back into the playoffs. And this is kind of an achievement in and of itself because a lot of the questions around Minnesota, were it's a collection of talent I've never bought in. And this season, they're proving me wrong, but I, I don't know that you can win a championship with Cat and D'Angelo Russell. Um, Edwards, to me, is somewhat separate because he's such a young guy. But it's like, uh, you know, Cat seems to give up when the pressure's against him. Um, to to steal from Bill Simmons, Cat makes a... Well, to steal something else and apply it here, the Peyton Manning face he used to say about Manning when things weren't going his way and he's upset with teammates and he had that petulant look on his face. Cat does that sometimes. And I don't know how that engenders a good atmosphere with your teammates, but I'm not in that locker room, so I don't know. But Cat's, you know, posturing and body language at times doesn't really look all that healthy towards his, his teammates. So I've always questioned as to whether or not they'll actually be able to make any noise whatsoever in the playoffs. And now they have to take on a Memphis team. And we'll get to that matchup when we do our rankings of the playoff matchups that are looming. But that game was really entertaining to watch. I'm somewhat glad that I didn't have to sit through the frustration of the first quarter, especially where I believe there were more foul calls. There's a foul call a little bit less than one per minute. So like every 55 seconds is what it averaged out to be. Um, and that's not fun. Especially it's weird in the playoffs. In a best of seven series, you can have that where it's like the, the refs are trying to establish a tone for the series, but not for a play-in game itself. You should really let these guys play. Um, so I'm I'm happy that I missed that because that second half was really fun to watch. As somebody who has no stakes in the game whatsoever and just wants an entertaining matchup between the two, it lived up to those expectations. And that was a good game. 
to see one team climb back into it, especially the home crowd, to see that crowd get into it, um, made it all the more enjoyable. Apologize. The winds have been pretty hellacious here for the past 24 hours, which means my allergies are in overdrive. Um, but kudos to the Minnesota Timberwolves for advancing beyond. And now the Cavs and Clippers await the winner of tonight's two games, which should be two. They're two fairly evenly matched teams. Um, you got Atlanta versus Charlotte on the early game and then Pelicans, San Antonio Spurs in the late game. And it's a home game for Atlanta and a home game for the Pelicans. Uh, in each, I'm just going to go ahead and uh, be lazy and take the home team because they're evenly matched. Now, there are injuries for all the various teams, some more detrimental than others. Atlanta, you know, um, John Collins is... His foot and his finger are going to keep him out tonight, and I would assume keep him out for the foreseeable future. So even if they win tonight and then they win the next game, I'm not sure what the timetable is on when he comes back, and I think he's a huge part of what they need if they're going to make another late postseason push. Uh, he proved that last year. He just did all the little things and didn't care if he scored points but could score points if he needed to but was also a tremendous defensive uh, presence, was chasing down rebounds, challenging every shot, doing all the things that don't show up in a box score when you're watching it. Um, and it's the type of guy that you need if you're going to make a championship push. That is a championship caliber teammate right there. Um, and to not have him, I'm not sure would make a huge difference in tonight's game, but if they were to make the playoffs in general, it'll be a hell of a difference for him. So he's out. Lou Williams is out with back issues. And then on the flip side for Charlotte, uh, Gordon Hayward is out. Um, and he'll be reevaluated again in two weeks, but he's, he's out. And somewhat unsurprising, Gordon Hayward has now been injury prone since he went to Boston in essence. Um, and Charlotte's somewhat accustomed to playing without him, but to have another scorer in there and one who's got some playoff experience would be nice. It'd be, you know, to help cushion and shoulder some of the weight of what's going to go on tonight. Because right now, Atlanta's trending in a slightly better direction than Charlotte is, and the fact that it's in Atlanta both teams are playing for their lives because you lose, you go home. It's a one-and-done situation for them. Um, and personally, I'm sure this would be unsurprising to anybody that watches this show each week, but I'm pulling for Charlotte just because I I prefer to watch them play. It's entirely a bias. Um, I don't normally gravitate towards teams that are that have a heliocentric player like Trey Young. It's rare. I do like watching Dallas, but I feel like they're somewhat incomplete. Um, although now with the addition of Sten Dinwiddie, it, it makes them a little bit more potent. Um, but anybody where it's one guy and they're the focus of the offense, 
to that degree, I don't think is that entertaining. And I grew up on ISO ball. You know, that, that was my real introduction to the NBA um, was, Hey, you get one guy clear out and just let him do whatever he's going to do. And in the modern NBA, when you have so many of these other teams where we ping the ball around until we find the best available shot, that to me is more representative of, of, you know, where the game should aspire to, in my opinion. And I like that about Charlotte. You know, LaMelo gets tons of people involved. He's a great showman. And that team is fun to watch. I have definitely watched more Charlotte games than I have Atlanta this year. Um, So out of just personal bias, I'm pulling for Charlotte. But I think Atlanta wins this game. Um, And then on the other side, you've got Pelicans and San Antonio Spurs. Uh, Brandon Ingram is listed as probable with a hamstring issue. Uh, I don't see a world in which he doesn't play. Now, if this were, if they were in last night's game, then potentially you could keep him out and hope the team does well enough to give him a little bit more rest. And then they just, they have to win the next two. I don't know. Um, And then for the Spurs, McDermott is out. Uh, He got a pretty gnarly ankle sprain about a month ago, and it doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon. But those are your two injuries, by and large, for uh, the Pelicans and the Spurs. And that one, I think they're pretty even um, because it's it's lazy of me, but because it's in New Orleans, I'll go ahead and favor the Pelicans. I think they're pretty evenly matched teams. I don't think it's a huge swing in one direction for either of the four teams tonight. Um, Atlanta has, you know, possibly the best chances to make it out, but, uh, but the Pels, sorry, my allergies are just kicking today. I even took allergy meds. It's only working so well. Anyway, um, yeah, the Pels, I'm going to slightly favor them. San Antonio, uh, I'm on some level, I think they're somewhat happy to be here. No, no San Antonio team is ever going to quit on Pop while he's there. But this very well could be, you know, Pop's last stand. And maybe he tells his team that. You know, win or lose, whatever happens here, uh, this is my last hurrah and I am done. I don't see why pop stays after the season. He wins gold with the Olympic team. He takes the all time wins record and he's done. I mean, he said he wanted to retire way back when, whenever Tim Duncan retired and then he had Kawhi on his team and there's that glimmer of, well, we could make another push and be playoff contenders again with Kawhi at the helm. So perhaps I'll stick around for this and can't blame him for that. You know, built up a hell of a dynasty there in San Antonio. Might as well see what you got going. Um, So perhaps privately he said something to his team and that could give them a little bit of an edge. Hey, this is it for me. I'm done. I, I want you guys to be my last team. So let's go out together. And perhaps that's the extra motivation they need. I think that that game is more of a coin flip uh, to me than Atlanta and Charlotte. 
I think Atlanta definitely has an edge in that game. Whereas if the Pels were playing in San Antonio, I might be favoring San Antonio right now. Whereas if Atlanta was playing in Charlotte, I would still take Atlanta. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how this shakes out. And then the winner of each has to go on and they got to play one more game to make it in. The Cavs and Clippers are waiting there. Um, you know, licking their wounds from last night's losses. And I think both teams want to prove that they have the eight seed and they should have been all along in this playoff game or play in game rather is a farce and they are playoff teams. We'll see. Um, we will see, but moving on. So we have the other matchups set except for who number one is going to play. Number one is waiting to find out. And there's a little bit of a disadvantage there for the ones because the coaching staffs can't prepare for whoever they're going to play. Now they do have the benefit of the number ones in each conference play on Sunday, as opposed to Saturday, but still every one of these other coaches in three through uh, six gets to sit down and start game planning days in advance of what the number one overall seed gets. And I wonder if there's any pushback from the number one overall seeds uh, about this issue um, because they just don't have the slightest clue what they need to be preparing for. Now you would assume because they're the number ones that they don't have as much to worry about as the other teams are, because they should be, you know, the best team in their conference. In Miami, it's a question as to whether or not it is. You talk to Miami fans, they're rightly saying everybody's counting them out. And uh, I'm somewhat, I'm one of them. I don't really believe in this team as a championship contender. Um, they've proven me and everyone wrong in the past, so perhaps they'll do it again. Um, but the number ones, it's TBD as to who they're going to play. We don't know yet, but the other matchups, two through uh, seven, are complete. So I'm going to rank those as what I'm I'm looking forward to the most. I'm going to start at the bottom. Going to go and do all eight series. So my most anticipated are seven and eight. They're interchangeable. At eight, I wrote down Miami versus whoever wins the play on play in, whether it's Cavs, Atlanta, or Charlotte. And then seven, it's Phoenix, whoever they take on in the play-in, whether it's the Clippers, Pelicans, or Spurs. Now, for each, so Miami, if they take on the Cavs, I think Miami wins 4-1. That's my guess. The Cavs take one. Um, I think it'd be really difficult for the Cavs to get two. But they can shoot from three, so there is that high variance chance. You know, uh, Kevin Love has shot really well from three. Darius Garland can get hot from there. Uh, they could have guys hit, and then if Jared Allen is back in any capacity, well, suddenly the Cavs could be somewhat of a problem, and maybe that goes four two. But as it stands right now, with no Jared Allen, no firm timetable as to when he comes back, I think four one is legit. If it's Atlanta, I think it's four uh, one, possibly four two. And then Charlotte, I think it's 4-1. <laughs> and I think Miami takes all those, and it's somewhat boring. And hopefully my allergies finally stop. Um, 
And then at Phoenix above, and these are interchangeable. If you want to say Phoenix, Phoenix on some level is the more boring of the opening because I think the Clippers are going to give them the best game. Um, but if the Pels or Spurs make it, I think the Phoenix has a good chance to sweep both of those teams. Either or. Possibly they take one game, but I'd feel pretty good saying it's a 4-0 sweep against both of those. And the Clippers, I think 4-1. 4-1 seems legit. Best case scenario for the Clippers would be 4-2, but I don't see a world in which they can match Phoenix's depth because Phoenix has just proven it out through the entire duration of the year. Chris Paul goes down, the rest of the team steps up. When Chris Paul was gone, Devin Booker missed a few games. The team went 3-1 and one in Devin's four games missed. And suddenly, you know, uh, Cam Johnson is stepping up. Mil- Mikhail Bridges is stepping up. DeAndre Ayton is stepping up. Campaign, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, down on the line, down the line, rather, uh, of that team. Just had the depth. They've got the a record so good that it puts them in the, you know, one of the better regular season teams discussions. Um, and I even think they left a couple games on the table just to rest guys here and there. So those are my two least looking forward to. Um, my number six of the remaining six would be Dallas versus Utah. Now, the reason this one charts so low is Luka is out right now with a calf strain. They did an MRI and he came back. It's a calf strain and he's getting treatment, but there is no firm timetable as to when he's coming back. And Jason Kidd is now on the record saying, if he's not healthy and able to lace up and actually play, we're not going to play him. There is no point jeopardizing his future and the future of this team to try and go out there and sacrifice his long-term health to win a couple playoff games here or there this year. I might have to take some more allergy meds, guys. This is getting ridiculous. I didn't have this severe problem until we started recording, and now my nose will not stop being stopped up. Um, so with Luca no available timetable to come back, it just changes like how much I'm going to be drawn into this series versus the others. And then for Utah, they look like they are in full dysfunction mode. No chance in hell Gobert and Mitchell come back uh, next season. One of the two, potentially both, could be gone unless they make a finals push. And does anybody out there, after having witnessed Utah collapse year in, year out in the playoffs, believe that to be the case for this team? I I certainly don't. Now, with no Luka in there, Utah can win this. And they could, if Luka has to miss the bulk if, or the majority or the entirety of this series, there's no way Dallas wins. There's just not. There's They can't take four games off of Utah without Luka. Luka is their entire engine. Um, And the difference for me between 
Trey and Luca, and Luca is a heliocentric player, is there's been dissension within the Hawks when Trey dominates the ball as much as he does. And they even had a dust up early on in Trey's tenure. And then he did the, oh, really? You think you're better without me? And played like shit a game to prove to them that they couldn't win a game without him doing what he does. And the only person that I can recall that's done that around Luca is Porzingis. But Porzingis operates under this misguided belief that he was the number one on that team. And he hasn't been the number one for a long time. He's hurt too much for any team to saddle their identity to what he can give you. So watching Dallas, it seems as though they enjoy playing together more. Like when Dinwiddie hit those game winners after he was traded over there, Luca was one of, if not the first guy to run over and celebrate with him. Um, and he's the one that fed him the ball, get him the ball. If you're the uh, open and available and the defense is going to collapse two down onto me, got to find that open man and make him pay. And he did. And that kind of trust in your teammates is key. Um, so that to me is the difference. It all comes down to how the teammates react to the individual as opposed to how the individual plays when it, when you're talking about an AB comparison, they're so similar. Um, and Trey's stats are off the charts this year. Uh, but I still wonder how much her team, his teammates enjoy standing there watching him do whatever with the ball. Could be the same in Dallas and nobody... Pardon me, has the juice to really say anything. Um, but I'd be surprised. And yeah, and now when it call, it all comes down to Luca. I can't project what the series outcome is going to be without a firm idea of how much Luca is going to play. Because if he's going to miss the opening two, three, maybe even four games, Utah could very easily be up. 3-0-3-1 through four games or maybe even a sweep at that point. I just don't believe in Dallas in the slightest if you were to remove Luka from this mix. So that's why it ends up down there. So after that is number five for me, Milwaukee and Chicago. And that really comes down to I am going to be watching those games. Uh, and it's nice to see my team back in the playoffs, but it's also disheartening because I don't believe we have a shot. There was one team in the top tier that I wanted a piece of that I thought maybe we could take which is Philly. Now, do I think we're a better team than Philly? No, no, I think Philly's a better team. But if you could basically get in Harden's head well now, and, and then get him to take himself out of the mix, which we've seen him do in the playoffs, and if they get down by any amount, 
He's not the guy that's going to dig you out of a deficit. So if you can get up by any amount of points, you can get hardened to mentally check out. And now you're saying, Embiid, you need to beat a team all on your own. Because otherwise you're relying on uh, Maxi. And am I dismissing Tobias Harris? Well, Tobias has been up and down. And Danny Green is old. And Thibel, who is partially vaxxed and is now going to have to sit out some of the Toronto games, uh, is not going to give you anything on offense. They're going to be defensively still tough, but yeah, that's that's who I was hoping. It was like, please, please stay where we could potentially play Philly in the first round. Uh, but now we have Milwaukee, and we don't have an answer for, for Milwaukee. Do we have some bad blood because of Grayson Allen? You're damn straight we do. And are the crowds in Chicago going to let him hear about it? Hell yeah, they are. Can't wait for it. Uh, but I think best case scenario for us is, absolute best case is it goes seven games and Milwaukee wins in seven. Um, realistic best case is 4-2. Um, and there is a world in which it goes 4-1. I don't think Milwaukee can sweep us. But, God, it just sucks because there was moments this season where it's just like, man, we just keep winning. And then you watch the games, you look at the numbers, and be like, ah, the, don't know that there's a lot of support for this, but we are, you know, first in the East right now. Uh, but we are absolutely trending in the worst possible direction. And Milwaukee, for the first time, it seems like they were trying to get us in the opening round. And I can't blame them. Of the top six teams, I think we're the team that basically anybody would want to play first. That hurts, too, knowing that. Um, but, yeah, so that's my that's my fifth. It very well could be lower because it looks like it's going to be a fait accompli. But I personally going to be watching it. It's my show, so fuck it. Uh, it's five. At four, I've got Philly and Toronto. Now, for Philly, uh, Niang is still listed as day-to-day. And for Toronto, Van Vliet has been taken off the injury report. And uh, Ananobi just came back. So, ostensibly, Toronto's at full health. And then you have to factor in, okay, well, Matisse is going to miss two of the games in Toronto, assuming they only have to play two up there. They could end up having to play three because Toronto has a vaccine mandate for players coming in. And Feibel got his first shot and then elected not to get the second shot. I don't know why. Uh, his reasoning was that after getting the first one, he wanted to go with a more holistic approach to uh, dealing with COVID as opposed to just getting the second shot of the, the vaccine. I really hope that's not annoying for people. Um, so, Fiebel is now going to be out in those two Toronto games. And the, the fact of the matter is, I think of all the teams in the top six in the East, right now, Toronto could be the most feared. 
they're they're high up there on my list of teams I wouldn't want to face in the first round, and so much so that uh, I think Toronto's got a pretty good chance of making the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, I don't think they can win it all, but I think they've got a shot. I mean, as it stands right now, they take on Philly in the first round. If they can win that one, then they take on the winner of Miami versus whoever is in the play-in game. And I kind of trust, you know, the weirdness of Toronto just because they can throw out. It's, It's a tough matchup for anybody when you have Scotty Barnes, Ananobi, and Siakam all out there, and then you add in the the depth that Toronto has on that bench. You could say the same thing for Miami. Miami has a tremendous amount of uh, depth, um, but they also have like for me question marks of how much are they going to rely on Struess and some of these other unknown playoff commodities, and will Jimmy's shooting woes from deep continue now he's never been a good three-point shooter but this year it seems like it's even worse and in the playoffs in the past he didn't shoot from three until late in the game if the team needed it and is that going to maintain being the case and he's also not finishing in the mid-range like he used to at least the games that i watched and there's some turmoil within Heatland, you know with the jimmy haslam spolstra dust up that everybody talked about and everybody saw. And, you know, according to the players, that's the type of atmosphere that they normally have in practice. It just boiled over into a game. Like, okay, maybe, I don't know, heat culture. But Toronto's frisky, interesting, and young. Um, And there's it can't just go chalk, you know, one through eight, where the top seed makes it every time in every side of the conference. So you got to have some upset somewhere. Now, it's not like it's the tourney because of the one and done. You definitely need upsets, and it could be. The best team could win out. But I don't know. To me, Toronto is trending in all the right directions. They look scary as hell, and I think they win this. It goes seven, and they win 4-3. Now, they'd have to do it in Philly in game seven, and Thibel would be there. Um, But... It's possible, and I I would choose. I'm picking Toronto for three in that one, so long as injury status and everything like that maintains. Yeah, I think you can get in Harden's head, and they sacrifice so much depth to get him, losing uh, Seth Curry and Drummond. That if Niang isn't going to be a hundred percent, suddenly Philly's already slim bench just got much slimmer. Uh, so. I like Toronto in that one. I am going to be eagerly anticipating that. Uh, three for me is Golden State and Denver. Now, I think even if Curry has to miss game one, um, he's probable, I believe, listed as of right now, and the team is optimistic that he'll be back, but there's nothing set in stone. And... They don't play until Saturday, so they've got a little bit more rest. But even without it, you know, Porter and Murray are not coming back for Denver. So this is going to be the Jokic show. And Golden State doesn't have an answer in the interior for Jokic. 
which is going to be a problem. That being said, will Denver, on four separate occasions, be able to match the firepower of Golden State and overcome them? Even without Curry, you've got Poole and Clay, and Clay's up to 20 points per game since he's been back. Draymond looks healthy again. Uh, and then it also alleviates the pressure off of Wiggins, who post All Star hasn't been playing all that well. But there's, you know, they already have in Poole and Thompson two front court players, or pardon me, two back court players that I trust more than anyone on Denver. Now, will Denver have the best player on the court? Yeah, yeah, they will. But then after that, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, especially if Curry's back, just Golden State will be way too loaded for him to be able to hang over the course of. Now, I think it goes 4-2 in Golden State's favor. Um, But it'll still be an interesting series. There's no answer for Jokic, so he's going to feast. You know, you're going to be throwing out Looney and... Uh, Draymond and Kaminga and other guys to slow him down, but you don't really have an answer for him. But then on the flip side of that, it's like, I do you really trust Barton and Jermichael Green and uh, Rivers and Compazzo and, uh, you know, Morris and anybody else that they're going to throw at Golden State over what Golden State has to offer? Now, I like Golden State uh, in those matchups. And they've got the playoff experience amongst their core group to where they can steady their other players and be like, this is what it's going to be like. Here's what it is. Like, this is what you need to focus on. And I think that veteran savvy and composure is going to ultimately lead to Golden State taking that one. So my number one and two, obviously the two series left, um, I can kind of go back and forth as to which I'm most excited about. But at two, I've got uh, Memphis versus Minnesota. Because you have two young teams on the rise playing with bravado um, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to it because each is trying to cement that they're going to be one of the the teams of the next kind of generation of top-tier franchises. And to see, really, Memphis in the playoffs again, they're so much fun to watch. And they're so deep. I mean, look at their record without Ja. And then there were stretches where it's without Ja and Jaron Jackson, and they continue to win. Desmond Bain steps up. Dylan Brooks steps up. They just get production from so many different guys. The one downside I think for Memphis is they are a fast break team. And in the playoffs, it really slows down to half court sets. And when you feast on the fast court or fast break, rather, um, when you lose that because of, the slower pace of the playoffs, how much of that is going to affect the ceiling of what your team could be and do in the playoffs. But in this opening round matchup, I think they could easily get Minnesota to get out there and run too, because they're another young team. 
And if they can get Minnesota to play into their game, uh, they're going to win that. And then you look at the the matchups overall. It's like Cat has to do with Jaron Jackson Jr. and some combination of him and Steven Adams and whoever else they want to throw at him. But that'll be a solid matchup. Cat has a slight advantage, but it's not a dramatic one. And then on the uh, the backcourt, it's like Anthony Edwards is going to be a problem, but at the same time, do you have an answer for Ja, for Desmond Bain, for Dylan Brooks, and for what their guards are going to be able to throw at you? I don't believe you do. I don't trust D'Angelo Russell's defense. Um, it's asking a lot of Pat Bev. But it's going to be interesting and entertaining as hell to watch. You assume Pat Bev is going to be on Ja and to free up the length of Anthony Davis. Or not, uh, not Anthony Davis, Anthony Edwards. To um, to go out there and defend other guys, I think you know if if I'm Memphis, I'm trying to exploit Russell as much as I can. But this should be high flying, high energy, tons of fun as a series. I can't wait. I think Memphis takes it four two. That's my guess. Uh but it should be interesting. Do I see a world in which maybe Minnesota wins 4-1 or it goes 7? Sure. Sure. Or pardon me, uh, Memphis goes 4-1 or it goes 7 and Memphis still wins? Sure. I don't think Minnesota can can beat Memphis in 7 games. But crazier things have happened. Uh but I just I just think the depth and the proven ability of Memphis over the course of this season when they started off and they're just a young brash team and then that young brash team turned into, now we're just going to kick your ass night in, night out. And it doesn't matter the lineup out here. Taylor Jenkins has great schemes and ideas as to how to get the most from his players. Um, I mean, even guys like Steven Adams, which most people assumed was kind of going to be out of the league by now or sitting lower on the bench, figuring out, how to best utilize him with all these young guys. It's been so much fun. I, I like most NBA fans, always been a fan of Steven Adams. Seems like a really good dude and an excellent teammate. And uh, so I'm happy for him and everybody on Memphis. And I just want an entertaining series. I am pulling from Memphis and I think Memphis wins four two. My number one then is obviously Boston and Brooklyn. Now what's interesting is, on some level, I think it would have benefited Brooklyn to lose last night and then win to get the eighth seed to take on Miami in the first round um, if both teams were fully healthy. And I think it benefits Brooklyn because as much as I said Memphis is a fast-break team, I think... Brooklyn can dictate more of the pace and Miami is one of the slowest paced teams out there. So if you can get them out of their comfort zone, like Brooklyn did against uh, Philly when they crushed them, the post Harden trade and in the post game presser, Durant flat out said, well, we knew that they wouldn't be able to run. So our goal was to run and push them as much as possible. And they wouldn't be able to have the legs to hold up with us. I think, Miami fits that bill a little bit as well, just given their overall, uh, you know, 
pace level in regards to the 30 teams in the league, they are one of, if not the slowest. Whereas Boston, you don't have that fungibility. You can't you can't express that gear as easily because I think Boston defensively, now they got defensive player of the year there, but the one advantage in this Boston matchup is Time Lord is out. Robert Williams is gone. And there's tremendous optimism within the Celtics organization that he'll be back for this round one game. But when he got hurt, his original prognosis was four to six weeks, and four weeks takes him to uh, game five. So even some miraculously, he's on the much earlier timeline of this. And it's three weeks to three and a half weeks. Well, that puts him more at game two to game three. And you get him back, but is he 100%? Does he trust in that? Maybe he does. I don't know. There's still a question mark. Kind of need to see it. And... That means Brooklyn might have already kind of put their stamp and identity on this series at that point. I don't know, though, because Boston still played pretty well without him. I just think that Robert Williams gives them so much flexibility, especially defensively, that, you know, Bruce Brown got in trouble with his teammates after last night's postgame presser because he said, well, with no Robert Williams there, we feel like we can get into the paint and take it to Horford and Tice. And I think that is decidedly true. And apparently his teammates were upset with him for being like, you know, yes, it's obvious, but why say it? Why announce to the world what our intentions are going to be? Let's just show them. Um, but Ime has proven himself to be an excellent coach. So you obviously game plan around that, but it's a dramatic drop off from Robert Williams to Horford and Tice as your stalwart defenders. Because when you have Smart and Williams out there, it's like, well, now we can protect the three-point line and the rim. Now, Brooklyn is a team that can feast on the mid-range. Kevin Durant is one of the best in the game uh, in the mid-range and one of the best all time. He's It's amazing. Like watching last night's game, every time we went up for a shot, literally it looks the the shooting stroke looks the same. So every time you're like, "That's in." Even when he misses, you're like, "That's in." It's very rare when I'm watching it, I can flat out tell that as soon as he releases it, it's not going in. It's exceedingly rare. And you also have the belief, having watched him enough now, where it's like I, I assume it's going in. He's done it. He loves these high-pressure moments. Lives in them. So this, I mean, this matchup, I couldn't be more excited for. I think this is the most intriguing. It's going to be the most fun to watch. Two teams battling. You have KD still in his prime, still in the argument for best basketball player alive. And Jason Tatum emerging as the next generation guy that is in the mix for best basketball player alive discussion. Um, He's on that trajectory, finally. He's shown flashes of it. 
we've all had you know underlying belief that that was that that could be inevitable and now this season it looks like yeah he's finally hitting that trajectory and so you have those two and you got brown and Kyrie and then with Kyrie fasting for Ramadan and Robert Williams out so does that mean Drummond is going to be able to just take it to Horford and Tice? Ah, maybe. Or maybe not. Who knows? And Seth Curry needs to get back to uh, 100% health. He's got a few more days of rest. And if he can get back to healthy, well, suddenly the loss of Joe Harris for the season isn't as detrimental as it once was. Um, I mean, that's the a huge benefit of excising Harden to... Philly is they got the depth of Curry and Drummond. Um, and then now there's all the speculation that Simmons could be back, not for game one, but maybe for game two or three or four. And what the hell does that mean? But now you've got somebody out there that at the very least should be able to play defense at a high level um, and in certain matchups and configurations make a lot of sense to have them out there. I mean, this uh, this whole matchup from top to bottom is all kinds of interesting. I can't wait for the chess match between the two coaches and the tweaks that they're going to have to make to overcome the disadvantages via injury that each has had. Uh, it's going to be super interesting, and I'm looking forward to it. So that's my number one, and uh, it's the only one where I I do not know who's going to win. Flat out, I do not know. Gun to my head, I'll take Boston just because they've, since January, they've been playing amazing basketball, but that's with Robert Williams. So now you take Robert Williams out of that equation. It changes a lot of who they are. Uh, I'll still take them ever so slightly, but in no way would I be shocked if Brooklyn wins this. I have a sneaking suspicion that this bad boy is going to go seven and I'm here for all seven games. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's two interesting teams that this seems more like a second, second round matchup as opposed to a first. That's just the way things shook out given the net season overall. So I can't wait, but anyway, so the playoffs begin this weekend. Um, I'd like to thank everybody that joined in the chat. I'm sorry I didn't have time to get to you today. There's a ton of stuff to talk about, but Jeremy Bowers, Mild Man, a comic nerd, Yuri McGarley, uh, Heroes in the Half Court, Jordan Anderson, JMB, Riley Pangrass, Rashawn Robinson, uh, TJ Martino, and I believe that's in Marcus Driscoll. Thank you to everybody that joined me today. I apologize I didn't get to get to your comments. Uh, I will do a better job about that next week, uh, but we'll be in the midst of the playoffs. A couple games in the bag for everybody. Um, and I will see you guys uh, then. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, we'll see you uh, post-game. So it'll be everybody that plays on Saturday will play their second game on Monday. So we'll have two games in the bag for uh, half the series and one game in the bag for the other half of the series. Uh, everybody that's playing on Sunday plays again on Wednesday. So we'll have uh, some nice meatiness uh, to discuss, see how my initial thoughts uh, and your initial thoughts are doing. 
And um, all Tamor Khan jumping in late saying, have a good day, everybody. Um, but that's it for dropping dimes this week. I'll see you guys with another edition. You can follow me anywhere at Matt Nost and uh, stay safe out there. I'll see you guys real soon. Until then, adios.